All right, we're going to start with verses uh, 19. So if you recall, last week we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar's second dream and the fact that he had this dream, and unlike the first dream, although this one scared him too, unlike the first dream, he didn't demand that his wise men and counselors all give him, um, tell him what he dreamed and then give him the interpretation. He just said, here's the dream. You tell me what it means. And uh, so, couldn't really do that. But let's look at the, uh, the text here. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar has basically told him the dream. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belteshazzar, Daniel, answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. So, what's interesting here is, and we'll keep reading a little bit by little bit instead of the whole thing all at once here. Um, what's interesting here is that Daniel hears Nebuchadnezzar's dream and reacts with concern. First shown in his silence, he was very concerned about this. So obviously, he understood the meaning of the dream immediately, and it bothered him, because he knew that it applied to King Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and, and of course, he wished that it would apply to the king's enemies instead of the king himself. And I think this is interesting. Um, both men obviously respected one another. There was this real good, you know, it may not have been camaraderie, but it, there was respect. Nebuchadnezzar assures Daniel that he can tell him what it means without fear of being punished. So let me read a few more verses here, starting in verse 20, so we can get a, an idea. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. This is a fascinating thing. So here's Daniel explaining this dream to the king. <clears throat> and he knew the meaning of it. And he also knew, really, that as much as he hated it, Nebuchadnezzar deserved what God was going to send his way. But nonetheless, Daniel's heart, he was very concerned for the king, and he grieved over what he had to tell him. So there was something about Nebuchadnezzar that was respectable to Daniel, and even something about him that Daniel admired. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to give him bad news. So this is really the distinctive feature, I think, of true prophets. You know, there are a lot of people running around today who claim to be actual apostles. Mm -hmm. They claim to be actual prophets in the same 
vein and power of the original apostles and the original prophets that God chose. They're actually running around today, and this is what they say. But the distinctive feature of a true prophet of God, though they often have to predict judgments, they nevertheless are grieved when any of God's creatures were chastised. And that's a quote from Feinberg. Um, and it's really true. I mean, if you look in the Old Testament, especially, you see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, I mean, all these various prophets, and many of them are really grieved to the core because they have to, yeah. they have to express and share this message that God gives them, so they want to be true to that message, and they certainly want to obey God, but it still grieves them. But what is interesting about that is it proves that God is also grieved because he doesn't necessarily want to do these things. He would have much preferred that Nebuchadnezzar just repent and then learn to be humble and admit that he wasn't humble, but he didn't do that. God gave him the first dream, and it was about this, as we recall in Daniel chapter 2, it was about this big statue, and so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Immediately after that, he builds a statue to himself, yeah. thinking, oh, that's what it's all about. This makes sense. It's all about me. I'm the greatest kingdom. Let me build something that everyone will remember me by. Well, here we are thousands and thousands of years later. We're still talking about Nebuchadnezzar. So no one has forgotten Nebuchadnezzar. But what he didn't realize was God was trying to humble him. And he missed that. So now God has to kick it up a notch. And you know what? This is a lesson for all of us. Yeah. Not just people like Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I look at some of the people in our... <clears throat> government, and I, I see the hubris, you do too, and the way these people talk as if God is dead, they're in charge of everything, and you, you just sit there and you go, it's just unbelievable that these people can say what they want to say and do what they want to say. Um, a soccer player female soccer player <laughs> who I guess the, the world soccer team or the USA soccer team, they lost and she got hurt and she says, well this proves God doesn't exist. Because she got hurt? Because I got hurt. God let me get hurt. So if God exists he wouldn't have let me get hurt. The one with the purple hair? The one with the purple hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one who <laughs> hates the United States. You know, you sit there and you go, these people, if only they could see their hubris before it's too late, but they can't. But this is really amazing that God did this for a non-believing king. He didn't destroy him. He basically said, I'm going to humble you, and you, you may come kicking and screaming, but you're going to be humbled. And, and that's exactly what happens. So that's a distinctive feature. You know, Daniel, his heart was bothered because he had to share this information with King Nebuchadnezzar. So, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, I read that part, it is you, verse 22, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Let me stop there. That... That verse right there, 
or that section, your dominion to the end of the earth. Obviously, we're talking about the known earth. Yeah. In those days, what they could see, where they could travel to, that was the end of the earth. Verse 23, And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree, destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. So Daniel repeats the facts of the dream, showing to Nebuchadnezzar that he understood its contents. The tree, he basically says, represents Nebuchadnezzar. He'd become strong, and he'd become great. He is the world ruler, a world ruler, of the then-civilized world. And the tree references Nebuchadnezzar's personality, personal, excuse me, and his dominion. So it specifically refers to him and how big he had gotten, how strong his kingdom had become, and he was basically in charge of the known world. So, the tree will be cut down, but not fully or completely rejected. So I think this is fascinating, because I think I may have mentioned last time, Adam came over and he cut down some trees for me, and I've got some nice low stumps. And it's interesting because the tree is long gone, it's way off in the woods, it's cut up, and yet the stump is still alive. You know, it still sends out shoots, which I have to go out and cut off. So for seven periods, and that's most likely seven years, he will live as a beast of the field. And as I was doing some research into this, I found out something I didn't even know, which we'll get to in a second here. Nebuchadnezzar won't even recognize who he is during that time, which was probably a good thing, really, if you think about it. And this was decreed by the Most High and relayed by a watcher. And of course, that was Nebuchadnezzar's word for it, watcher, but it was probably just simply an angelic messenger of God. And this happens, again, due to, solely due to Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And God was giving him a message, and that message would literally become known to the world through Nebuchadnezzar. God has chosen to humble the king, and that's grace. That's really grace. God had chosen to humble him instead of just wipe him out. I think that that's fascinating. So, literally, he would leave his throne and live like a beast. He would become like an animal even eating the grass. His fingernails would get very long, like an eagle. Now this is the interesting part for me as I was doing some research. Psychiatrists refer to this mental illness as zoanthropy. I didn't know it was a real thing. That's what I was going to ask you. I've never heard that kind of... Yeah. You know... I, I didn't either. Get somebody's pride. Yeah. But there have been actual cases of this in the past that psychiatrists have studied in clinical conditions. These people literally believe themselves to be some type of an animal 
and they start living like it. Now, we're seeing examples of this thing today, but I don't think that that's the real thing. I think because of uh, the way people are starting to go off kilter here, they're, you know, they're like, oh, I'm a cat, or I'm a horse, or this or that. But this is actually a real thing, and it's probably what happened to him. Symptoms can also include excessive emotionalism, highs and lows. And Nebuchadnezzar may also have had a form of amnesia. And it can also stem from extreme narcissism or extreme egoism. And if, if Nebuchadnezzar was anything, he was extremely narcissistic. He, was, he had an ego that was probably as large as his um, kingdom. And really, think about that. Why not? He was a king who could make any law he wanted to make and not have to follow it. He was a king who could say, put him to death, put him to death, and think nothing of it. He was the final word. And no one could say anything. How could you not get an ego? How could you not become narcissistic? But God had a plan. There's another form of this ailment. It's also called boanthropy. So you got zoanthropy and boanthropy. I was not aware that these things actually were real things, but they are. So this is where a person believes themselves to be an ox. Boanthropy. Hmm. The outside of the person is seen to be completely irrational, but the inside of the person can be normal in self-awareness. Again, this is what certain psychiatrists and psychologists have studied and um, written about. So this may explain that at the end of the time, Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes toward heaven because there was some sense of normalcy within him and he, at the end of the time he was able, or at the end of the time it faded away and he came back to his senses. And then, what did he do though? He immediately looked to heaven. He immediately looked up to God. So the humbling effect that God put him through did take effect. Uh, this gentleman, R.K. Harrison, recorded his personal observation of a mental patient with boanthropy who demonstrated exactly the symptoms described of Nebuchadnezzar. Hmm. So, you know, it's like the mind is a weird thing, isn't it? It can do such strange things to you. So, this verse 24 and 25 this is the interpretation, O king, says Daniel. And this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Where am I here? And they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. Then that would explain why Biden was put in office for this to take place today. Yeah, yeah. It all makes sense, doesn't it? It sure does. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely astounding mm -hmm. to me. You know, a couple of these people, more than a couple in uh, D.C., 
could could benefit from something like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is incredible to me when you see what happens in the federal government, and and as I'm sure you know, they're finally going to release 44,000 hours of videotape from January 6th. Mm -hmm. That's something that McCarthy promised he would do if he became Speaker of the House, which he didn't do. So now we have a new guy, evangelical Christian, who's actually doing it. And, and I'm just hopeful that the world, I mean, the world is already starting to see if you've had any chance to view some of those videos. They're going to be released tomorrow, but some of them have already been released. There are, there are a couple I saw where they had this one guy handcuffed, and they take him down the hallway, and there are a couple of police officers, and they uncuff him, and then they fist bump each other. And there's another guy who's dressed in MAGA gear. He comes up to a security checkpoint and he shows his badge. And you sit there and you go, this was a complete setup. And these people are rotting, not only rotting in jail, but some of them have committed suicide because of it. It's tragic. It's tragic. But here we are. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my, I love this part, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So what, I mean, this is wonderful. Here's a prophet, Daniel, and he's basically telling the king, this is what this dream means. This is what's going to happen to you. But, here's a caveat. If you basically will repent, bow before the God of the universe, acknowledge that he and he alone rules, and you rule only because he put you in that position, but he could take you out easily. If you will begin to repent, learn and reach for righteousness, and show mercy to the poor, you'll be putting yourself on the proper path here. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So maybe, maybe you can bypass this if you are willing to humble yourself. Yeah. It's funny, this morning when I was preaching in Russellville, I shared over the last couple of uh, maybe four to six months how God has deliberately brought things into my life that forced me to be more humble. And one of them, there was initial failure, but then there was victory. And... You know, he's always doing this. He's always doing this with us because he's always sanding off the <coughs> rough spots. He's always trying to pull out of us the arrogance that we often have and replace it with humility because what, what is he trying to do? He's trying to recreate within us the character of his son and who is more humble yeah. than our Lord? And so that's what he needs to develop in, in us. And we give him that permission when we receive salvation. Lord, I want to follow you. 
wherever it goes, whatever you need to do, okay, I'm going to take you up on that. And, that, and that's why he says the, the narrow gate that leads to the narrow road is difficult. It's not easy. You know that as well as I do. It's not easy because we are constantly having to acknowledge the fact that our sin nature is alive and it cooperates with self so that self can be exalted. And when self is exalted, humility is shoved aside. And God is constantly sending things in our lives, trials, tribulations, difficulties, and temptations, allowing them to come so that we can approach it the way Jesus would approach it, not the way Nebuchadnezzar would approach it. So he was giving him a chance, a huge chance, so his condition would remain for seven periods. And like I said last time, this is most likely seven years until he had learned that God, and only God, is absolutely sovereign. Once he came to that conclusion and realization, he would then receive back his senses and his throne, and he would be a new man. Now, in verse 26, when it says, heaven rules, or rule, ruling, well, let's see, 26. After you come to know that heaven rules is basically literally meaning God rules, since that's where heaven is and God's throne is in heaven. This is the only place in the Old Testament, by the way, where the word heaven is substituted for the word God here. Though this is done often in the New Testament. Yeah, this is the only place in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it happens a lot. And it's done out of respect for God. Now in verse 27, Daniel exhorts the king to literally understand that this would happen to him unless he willingly, volitionally turned from his pride and his sin. And that's the same thing that happens yeah. to us. Even as Christians, we still have to deliberately turn from our pride to embrace humility. And when we don't, that's when God will take us out to the woodshed. That's what He will do. And He does that, of course, why? Because He loves us. I'll never forget when my dad... I was in third grade. I did something stupid. My dad told me, all right, go in. I, had, I was dressed as a cowboy at the time. He goes, go in your bedroom, take off those, their guns. I'll be in in a minute, which was very difficult already. And then when he came in there, he put me over, he sat down on the bed, he put me over his lap, and he goes, now I'm doing this to you because I love you. And I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> and then he proceeded to spank me. <laughs> of course, now I get it, but <clears throat> it was pretty interesting at the time. So Nebuchadnezzar needed to start showing mercy to the poor and living righteously before God. And this emphasizes the principle that any judgment really may be averted if there is genuine repentance. This happened with King David in 2 Samuel 11 when he literally committed adultery with Bathsheba and then made the situation worse by literally and deliberately having her husband Uriah killed by putting him in the front of the battle and then he told you know, Joab, pull back. So here he was. He was a murderer and an adulterer. 
And yet, when Nathan, I believe it was, who came before him, and I still remember that, and David, he was telling them the story of the lamb, and David became incensed and said, he should die. And Nathan is like, thou art the man. And he was floored, but he repented. He repented. So some of the judgment that God was going to pour out on the king and the nation of Israel because of the king's sin, some of that was averted. This could occur today in the world. It could occur. Look at this world today. We are careening toward judgment. It's like we're begging for judgment, and it could be averted if there was a clear understanding that this is wrong. We need to stop doing this. Let's, let's turn. It's never going to happen, though. We know that. It just won't happen. So God will be fully justified in pouring out his wrath at some point. And we know that that will be what's called the tribulation for seven years. Nebuchadnezzar went through his own seven-year tribulation here. So, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. All of it. Why? Because he didn't repent. Here, here was Daniel saying, look, King, all this is slated to happen to you, but maybe if you change your ways, change your attitude, in, embrace, excuse me, embrace humility, maybe some of it at least will be averted. But he didn't. So all of it came upon him. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar made no necessary changes in his life. He continued to ignore the poor. He lived unrighteously. He did not live under the truth that God and God alone is sovereign. He was still under the impression that, well, this is the most high among many gods. Pride is the worst of sins. It is from pride stems everything. It controls our thoughts. It controls our words. It controls our deeds. God hates pride. And there's just, just a few verses that reference that whole thing. So next time what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and the results of that starting with verse 29. And we should be able to finish up uh, Daniel chapter 4 at that point. But again... We're skipping next Sunday, so it will be the following week. I will let everybody know where we're meeting, and then um, we'll be going on from there. Any comments or questions? Ugh. So God went to all that work yes. from Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. But he still knew what he was going to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He... When you say he knew what he was going to do, are you talking God about that? Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It reminds me of the rich young ruler. When he went to Christ and he said, Good teacher, what must I do, essentially, you know, to be saved kind of thing? And Jesus looked at him and said, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And there's no indication there that the young, rich, young ruler even answered that question. He goes, okay, well, look, you're familiar with the laws. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. And the rich, young ruler was like, mm -hmm. yeah, all those I've kept from my youth. Mm -hmm. Oh. Well, if thou being perfect, but one thing you lack, 
go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he couldn't do it. He walked away very sad. So in a way, it's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he did what he did. And no matter, you know, I, I sit there sometimes and I think, you know, if you could just talk to some people today and explain to them the gospel, why can't they see it? Well, because God hasn't opened their eyes. They don't have the capacity to see it. But it's, it's just, Nebuchadnezzar still needed to hear it. That reminds me of the verse when you were talking it. One of my favorite verses is, yeah. let us sit down and reason together. That just tells you volumes about God. He's that willing he to sit down and talk to you. Yes. And talk it out. And reason. And that just shows it right there. Yes, yes, I agree, 100%. Mm -hmm. It just, God is willing to stoop to our level. Mm -hmm. He stooped to Nebuchadnezzar's. He didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to do that. Yeah. Mike Huckabee, I've seen him sitting at his desk uh -huh. on TV. And in a, on his bookcase behind him, he has this long sign that says, Let us come reason together. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there needs to be more reasoning today. Yeah. There's too much acrimony and hate. But, yeah. All right, well, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you. First of all, we thank you for your love, your grace, your righteousness. We are so grateful to be on the receiving end of your grace and your love. We know that in Romans 8, you tell us we are no longer under any form of condemnation because of our faith in you. And we are so grateful for that. We look at what you did, what you took the time to do with King Nebuchadnezzar, who was literally king of the world at that time. And what you did to humble that man, you didn't have to do, but you did. Lord, we are grateful. And we know that you have tremendous patience with us, for us. You allow us to make mistakes. Your forgiveness is always right there. And sometimes your discipline as well. And we know that at times we need it. But Father, we thank you so much that there's so much we can learn from Daniel, from how you intervened in the lives of people then and how you intervene in the lives of people now. Father, this week as we gather together with family and friends for Thanksgiving, help us to be lights in darkness and help us to spread the light of your word in our thoughts, in our actions, and in our words. We thank you for this time. Give these folks safety, safety as they travel home tonight. And thanks so much. Bless your word to our hearts that we may grow by it. In Christ's name, amen.